Hallelujah. Well, let's give a praise to Jesus. He's the one that really deserves it. Let's give a bitter praise, bigger praise than that to Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, it is such a joy to be here in Chicago, my hometown, and specifically here uh, in this ministry that I have uh, heard about before it actually came to physical fruition. Uh, I had an amazing uh, opportunity to be friends with uh, the founders and leaders of the church, and um, I tell you, to, to be in this place is really nothing short of a blessing to me to see what God has done, and so uh, it's an honor to be here. Um, a good, give praise to God for the leadership of this community, Jared, Jenny, and the other leaders, amen. Um, uh, this has been a very uh, difficult season for me. Uh, I lost my mom a couple of weeks ago. I'm an only child, and so I thought I'd say that so if anybody sees me with this lady's ring on, uh, there's no, you know, confusion. I just, it's my mom's ring, so if you don't like it, you know, deal with it. Um, but uh, as we approach the Word of God today, I'm so thrilled to know that there are many people here at different stages of the journey. Uh, there's some of you that are coming that don't know. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was so exciting at one of the earlier services. Uh, I met a gentleman who says, I've, been, I've walked away from God for years. This is my first time back in church. And I feel like now I got what I needed to hear to get back with God. And so maybe you're here and you've never experienced God at all. Uh, maybe you're seeking. Uh, others of you, you may know him. Wherever you are on the journey, our prayer is that God's word will speak to you and that your heart will be um, drawn closer to him. So let's, let's have prayer together. Father, we thank you for the time of worship. Uh, what an awesome time to build an altar of praise to you. Thank you for the privilege of doing that. Uh, God, we pray that your heart was pleased. Thank you for the opportunity to serve and give to you an offering. And now, God, we come to this uh, time that we can approach your word. Your words are a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. There's no way we can stumble when your word gives us the ability to see in a dark place. So there's some people that walked in here this afternoon in a dark place, and we pray that your word would illuminate the pathway that they would be able to see. When it's all over, we won't give any glory to a church or to any leaders or to any pastors or preachers or teachers. We'll give glory to where it belongs, and that's to you, Jesus. We love you so much, and it's in your name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be coming from a New Testament passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And so if you have your uh, blue Bibles with you, uh, it's actually page 808. Uh, so some of you all have the Bibles there in the pockets. Um, and we're on page 808 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 2. So grateful to have my wife Nancy with me today and then my friends that are here as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 2, it says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one would think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Or because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, 
I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's look at verse 10 again. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Uh, the earlier two services were uh, pretty slow uh, as far as their uh, mental aptitude to, um, to grasp uh, my suggestion to them in announcing the subject. Just by looking at you, I can see that you're a much smarter bunch. Uh, than both of the earlier groups. So uh, I want you to get ready to turn to a neighbor on either side of you and then announce the subject, which I'm going to give to you. So already prepare which way you're going to turn and then get ready to turn and then and then repeat what I'm going to ask you to repeat. Okay, so turn to your neighbor and say to your neighbor, neighbor. Some of y'all still didn't get it. Okay, you're going to turn. That means in any direction. And even if no one's there, just talk into the atmosphere. But turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. Have you learned how to be weak? Now turn to someone on the other side and look at them and say, hey, neighbor, have you learned how to be weak? Great job, guys. You're smart. I knew it. Be weak. You all, our society uh, places a high premium on strength on playing to your strengths, playing to your uh, abilities. Uh, and when an individual doesn't often have those strengths or have those abilities, they're often viewed as a failure. And so many people find themselves uh, climbing uh, into the levels of acceptance based on their ability to succeed in, in career or succeed in family or, or in life. And so if you're not given the thumbs up that you're doing really good with your strengths, you often feel inadequate. You often feel like you're not good enough. And the enemy of God, uh, he will play on you by making you feel as though you're not even worthy of God. You're not even worthy to be used by God or to even serve God. So many well-meaning Christians are those that are investigating the faith and trying to figure it out. But say things like, well, if God loves me, then why is there so much adversity in my life? If God cares about me, why am I always struggling in the way that I do? If God wants to use me, why am I not as strong as that person or the other person or the other person? And so you all, in God's kingdom, his ways are very different than our ways. His thoughts are different than our thoughts. As a matter of fact, the scripture says it in Isaiah that, that your thoughts, humanity's thoughts, are different than God's thoughts. As high as the heavens are from the earth are our thoughts compared to God's thoughts about us. So we view ourselves one way, but God views, our, views us a very different way. And so if you view yourself as a failure, God views you as a success. If you view yourself as someone that has already kind of, you know, missed it and it's over for you, God says you're just at the beginning. And so God says to us in this text some very specific things about how to overcome this complex of feeling as though we're not good enough and we're not qualified enough to be used by God or to serve God or even sometimes to be in a relationship with God. There's a gentleman that wrote this and penned this uh, letter to the church at Corinth uh, that is an amazing Bible uh, character. 
As a matter of fact, his name before it became Paul was Saul. And this guy was a persecutor of the church because before the church became what we know to be the church, it was just a band of people who believed in this guy named Jesus. And this guy who uh, was a, a devout Jew kind of felt like, hey, you know what? I'm not sure if, if this Christian band of people are really following what I believe is the true path. So he persecuted Christians and actively did it. One day on route to persecute some more Christians, he met God. And God said, you're not persecuting them. You're actually persecuting me. Jesus met him. And in that moment, his life was changed forever. Saul became Paul. And this letter that we're reading was just a letter that he wrote to the church at Corinth. We read it now as the book of Corinthians, but it was simply a letter that he wrote to the believing community at Corinth. And inside of this letter, there's something that he shared with them about his personal journey that I believe is enlightening to us today. The joy about scripture, you all, is that no matter how relevant and powerful it was in that day, it is still as relevant and powerful today. So it was not just a letter to the church at Corinth. It was a letter to Soul City Church in Chicago. And so this word from God to the church at Corinth is a word from God to you and to me in this hour, in this moment. So it says here in uh, chapter 12, beginning at verse 2, he refers to this gentleman. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Look up this way. He goes on and says, whether this guy was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. He kind of almost kind of continually doesn't refer to himself as this person. But we all know that this is him. He was so humble. He's like, whether he's in the body, out of the body, I don't know. Uh, Should I boast about him? I won't boast about him. I wouldn't boast about him. I mean, he's just kind of like playing these word games to basically say, I don't want to be the one to say that I experienced a revelation of God. I got a chance to be in heaven and speak with God and hear things that human beings are not permitted to hear. Can you imagine if you and I were given the opportunity to go to heaven and talk to God and have communication that we're not allowed normally to hear? Listen, uh, talk about a a selfie. (laughs) Talk about, I mean, I mean, you would be literally in heaven like, okay, Jesus, come on, let's, let's do this. Your Facebook status would be updated real quick, and the whole world would know, I just met with God. I know you met with Barack Obama. You met with uh, somebody else. I met with God, and here's a selfie to prove it. Listen, you all, this guy experienced something that was so amazing, such an awesome blessing that it changed his life. But what's so interesting, you all, is he said, 14 years ago, this happened. And this is the first time I'm publicly speaking about it. We would not have waited. It would have been 14 seconds. It would have been 14 seconds before we communicated with somebody that I just met with God. But because of this amazing blessing, God was saying something to him that that he wanted us to know. Sometimes, you all, when we're blessed and we have amazing revelations of God, amazing blessings from God, it sometimes will lead us towards conceit. It sometimes will lead us towards arrogance. It will sometimes lead us to thinking that we're more than we are. And whether you know it or not, you're blessed. Whether you would admit it or not, you're blessed. Not because maybe, well, Pastor, I don't think I'm blessed because I don't have that, I don't have that. But you all, whether you admit it or not, every last one of us in this room, we've been blessed by God. The fact that you walked in here on your own, you're blessed. The fact that you're breathing in and out without anyone assisting you, no machines, you're blessed. The fact that you're able to eat, and some of y'all are eating quite well. I'm looking around. I see this. 
You're blessed. You all, we've been blessed by God, but the blessings of God of God are not for us to gloat, not for us to kind of be, be self-focused, but to realize that with that blessing comes a necessity for humility. Because those who are blessed must realize that the blessings have nothing to do with us, but all to do with God. And so here he is now having experienced this amazing revelation of God. But he said, listen, I know that if I'm not careful, this revelation could lead me to conceit. Look at verse five. He said, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself. Except, watch this now, about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or I say. He said, I'm not going to allow my revelation of God to make me feel as though I'm better than someone else. You know the reason why the church of Jesus Christ often does not grow? Because the Christians who are a part of it have selective amnesia. You forgot that you were lost. You forgot that before you start, you know, singing the songs and rocking back and forth and knowing where Corinthians was, that there was a time that you did not know where Corinthians was and you did not know how to rock back and forth because you were lost. And so when a lost person comes, you're like, oh my gosh, they don't know the words. Oh my goodness, they don't have their Bible with them. Oh my goodness, you mean to tell me they don't know how to lift their hands? Well, guess what? They're lost. Hello? They may not know that. They may be seeking. They're trying to investigate. What would happen if you actually remembered how you were before you got all deep? Three weeks in, you know? And so he says, I choose not to boast about my relationship with God even because I realize that this is a gift. It's a blessing from God. And he does not want me to have that blessing become something that makes me prideful or something, you know, that's above what I should. So the Bible says that he, uh, he chooses to refrain from that. But look at the, the next verse because not only do we get this amazing revelation of God and the blessings of God, but there's a risk that comes with being blessed. Verse 7. Because of these surpassingly great revelations, watch this, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, in order to keep me from becoming prideful, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. I don't, I don't often see a gift as torment. You know, when you write out your Christmas list, uh, I'd like to get a new iPhone, I would like to get a, the newest iPad, and I would like to get torment. I don't see that being a gift. But the Bible says that to keep him from becoming conceited because of his blessed status, God chooses to give him a thorn in the flesh, watch this, a messenger of Satan to torment him. So adversity that he's experiencing is not because God doesn't love him. But the adversity that he is experiencing is because God does love him and realizes his proclivity and our proclivity to arrogance and pride and allows us to go through things so that we remain humble. There's a guy in the scripture by the name of Job, and this guy in the Old Testament, the Bible says he was an upright man. He feared God. He loved God with all of his heart. 
And the Bible tells us that, you know, Satan would uh, go to and fro and up and down the earth, seeking whom he may devour. And he would go before God's throne and God would speak with him. You know, God is the creator of heavens and earth. And, uh, and the devil is not on an equal status with God. He's just one of the angels that has fallen. He now comes before God and, and, uh, and God says to him, so what have you been what have you been up to? You know, God never asks a question that he doesn't know, by the way. He said, what have you been up to? He says, well, I've been going up and down the earth, seeking whom I may devour. You know what God says? Huh. Have you considered Job? Can you imagine that? I would have told God, hey, God, thank you so much for the suggestion to Satan, but you could have kept that one. I mean, Satan was not even thinking about Job. Job was nowhere on Satan's radar till God told him, have you considered the one who loves me? Would you then, Satan, go after him? I give you permission to go after him. And the Bible says that he does it. His, his children all die. Uh, his wife kind of goes cuckoo and best friends talk about him. And then the devil comes back to God and says, well, you know, the reason that he won't curse you is because he's, he's feeling well in his body. And God says, well, go ahead and attack his body, but don't touch his soul. So now his body breaks out in boils. He gets extremely sick. But in the midst of losing everything that he had, including his health, you know what he says? He says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I feel like preaching a little bit. It is something when people can be going through adversity and make their way to Soul City Church to say, God, you're worthy. God, you're awesome. And you're worthy of glory and praise, even though I'm going through. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let me, just, let, me, let, me just, let me just make this statement because some of y'all may know I'm, I'm black. <laughs> I just need to let y'all know that because some of y'all may not have gotten the memo or didn't know I'm black. And I've been that way a long time. And in my cultural context, when I say something that makes sense, you know, yeah, uh -huh, that's what happens. Not the white, mm, not that, not that, not that, not that. I, I need an amen, I need a hallelujah, go ahead, preacher. Uh, yeah. And so, so when I make sense, then you say amen. So for the next, uh, how many minutes? 21 minutes and 56 seconds, uh, y'all are officially black. So tell the person next to you, what's up? <laughs> Listen, you all, Job loved God, but was given the gift of adversity. Job loved God, but was given the gift of difficulty. And some of us are in difficult situations and blaming God for not loving us. But maybe it's that God knows that you can pass this test. Maybe God, who is the perfect teacher, is giving you this lesson because he knows you have the capacity to give him glory, to give him praise, and to live by his word in the midst of your trial and in the midst of your test. The Bible says that because of this revelation, the abundance of revelations, the scripture says, in order from keeping me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. We don't know what that was. I'm so grateful to God that uh, Paul did not specify what the thorn in the flesh was. Because some of us will say, well, that's his thorn, it's not mine. He was very open with it because it doesn't matter what the thorn is. Every one of us have a thorn. And we're not talking about, I don't believe, uh, sinful behavior. I don't believe that his thorn in the flesh was sinfully related. We'll find this a little bit later when he talks about uh, hardships and, and persecutions. Because I believe that what he was talking about was something that was outside of a character issue. All right. So I don't want anyone to say, oh, praise God. 
I got a thorn in the flesh, you know what I'm saying? I got me a little marijuana, it's just a thorn. I don't want anybody walking around with some, I got a thorn t-shirts on, you know, I got a thorn. Oh, you know, some of y'all were like, oh, that's good, all right, no. We're not talking about sin. We're talking about something that was so difficult, so hard to live with, that he just wanted it to go away. And the risk for him was living a life with this adversity. And there's some of us in this room, if the truth be told, we are living a life of adversity. And believers don't talk about this. When you walked in today to worship, one thing I learned about church people is that we learn how to put on the church face. We could win an Academy Award in acting. Because you come in and you say, people say, how are you doing? Oh, praise the Lord, brother, I'm blessed. How are you? Oh, praise God, sister, I'm doing wonderful. But if we could have those little bubbles, you know, like the cartoon bubbles that actually told the truth, our face would not match the bubble. Some of us are not okay. Some of us are angry at God. Some of us are angry at life. Some of us hate ourselves. Some of you hate your, your very family. What do you do when you live a life full of these contradictions? And you love God and you want to serve God, but there's this thorn in the flesh, not just a thorn, but a messenger of Satan tormenting you. I'm not talking about something that you can just easily dismiss, but something that is tormenting you. Sometimes when you see people on a stage or pastors or preachers, you think, oh, well, surely they, they don't have anything tormenting them. Really? You have no idea, but everyone in this room has something that is tormenting them. Everyone in this room has something that they're struggling with. And the Bible says that God has rewarded you with this adversity so that, listen, you and I would realize our need to depend on God. How many of y'all ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Not the movie, but the Bible thing. All right, Ten Commandments. All right, all right. Ten Commandments are not ten suggestions. They were not ten requests. These were ten things that God said, I require for humanity to do to be able to please a holy God. I was in California a few years ago, and uh, um, I had no idea that there was a law in this particular county uh, for jaywalking and that you could actually get a ticket for jaywalking. I mean, how do you present your license for walking? It's a driver's license, not a walker's license. So anyway, I'm walking across the street because you know in Chicago, wherever you see an open channel, you just, you just you know. <laughs> it don't matter if there's 20 cabs, you say, you just go. Right. So that's how I was in California. And I was out, out of my, you know, periphery, I see this cop coming, and he's like, you know, hand me your license. I said, oh, you mean my driver's license? And he's like, yeah, you know, you, you just, you know, walked across the street, you know, and, and the light didn't say go. And I said, but I didn't have any knowledge of this. He said, your ignorance of the law here does not exempt you from the law here. I got a ticket. Our ignorance of God's laws do not exempt us from his law. But watch this now. The Ten Commandments, have you ever read them? The most depressing list you've ever read. You think, you think David Letterman's list is something. Read that one and, and start crying. Because when I read the first one, I had already failed. I said, I'm out. I tap out. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, have nobody before me ever. I'm done. Bottom line is the Ten Commandments, watch this now, was God's way of showing humanity, you cannot please me 
without me. It was God's way of saying, this is what I require, but you can't reach it without me. And so that is why he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, who was born perfect, born sinless, who obeyed all of the law and therefore was exempt from the punishment of the law, breaking it, because the wages of sin is death. So when a person breaks the law of God, their punishment is death. And Jesus never broke the law, but decided to die. So when he decided to die, he took your place and my place so that now because he lives and we believe in him, we can live. Isn't that exciting? Now, watch this. We then are incapable of pleasing God without God. And that is why our weakness is a gift. Because if we are weak, we realize your inability and my inability to actually please God without God in us helping us to please him. It's not man's futile attempts to please God. It's God in us. It's God's spirit in us. It's God's presence in us that enables us to please a holy God. So he said, to keep me from becoming conceited, God gave me this thorn in the flesh, messenger of Satan to torment me. And then he said something pretty amazing. He says, I beg God three times to take this away from me. I don't know about you, but if there's anybody who could get a prayer through, it was Paul. If there's anybody, you don't have to question his ability to pray. It was Paul. Now, you and I might say, well, I don't know if my prayer reached. His prayers reached to heaven, but his prayers reached to heaven and his response was not what he wanted. Some of us will say, you know, I prayed to God. How dare he not respond the way I want? I've, I've asked God this time and that time and that time and that time and that time to do this, that and the other. And he has not responded in the way that I wanted him to. So what kind of God is he? The same kind of God he is in the text here. If Paul, who might be a little bit closer to God than you and me, did not get the proper answer for his prayer, what makes us think that sometimes our prayers will always have the the same kind of answer that we desire? He says, God, take this thorn away from me. Remove it from me. And you know what God says back? And I believe he kind of said in a James Earl Jones kind of voice. (laughs) My grace is sufficient for you. I believe in the King James, he would have said, my grace is sufficient for thee. Now, now, you know, when we read the Bible, we really want to get real deep, but I, I sometimes like to put myself in the text. And I would have said, okay, God, I'm not sure if you heard my prayer, but I wasn't asking for grace. I ask you <laughs> to remove the obstacle I'm cool with the grace thing. Very nice of you. Thank you. However, could you get back to my original request? I requested for the thorn to be removed. But God said, my my grace is all that you need. So what is your prayer this afternoon? What have you been asking God to do? What have you been asking God to remove? What have you been asking God to manifest himself in doing? And his response to you has been, I am all you need. 
You all, when God had to uh, answer the question uh, of Moses, Moses asked God, okay, God, who will I tell Pharaoh sent me? I mean, who am I going to say you are? He said, I am. You are what? Yes. Because whatever it is that you need, I am that. And don't you dare narrow me down to one prayer request when I am all that you need outside of your prayer request. So maybe you want the mountain removed. But God says, I don't want to move it yet. I want to be in you while you stare the mountain down. Maybe you're asking God to remove the adversity. And God is saying, no, I will not remove the adversity because I need you to keep, your, you keep yourself humble. But I will show up in the midst of the adversity. The Bible talks about these three Hebrew boys who were in the midst of a fiery furnace. You know, they were getting ready to be thrown in because they loved God. And the Bible says that before they were thrown in, they told the guy, they said, okay, listen, uh, if we get in there and God uh, delivers us, he's God. But if he does not deliver us, he's still God. In other words, we're not going to worship you regardless of the outcome. Because God is the one that's always to be worshipped, regardless of the outcome. I wish I had a church today that would say, I'm willing to give God praise no matter what's going on in my life. Listen, you all, don't you dare let your circumstances be contingent upon your devotion to God. Don't you dare let your situation be contingent upon your love and devotion to him. It doesn't matter what your circumstance is. He is still worthy of glory. It doesn't matter what you're going through. He is still God. It doesn't matter how much you're hurting this afternoon afternoon he is still the lord of lords somebody said how can you preach when your mother just died as a matter of fact i preached my mother's funeral you know why because jesus is still god even in my pain and i learned one thing if i can love god in the midst of my pain i bring god on the scene in the midst of my pain are you willing to praise him in the midst of your pain if you don't mind would you do it right now would you do it right now? Would you do it right now? He's worthy. He's holy. He's righteous. He's God. Hallelujah. I'm almost done because I've got nine minutes and 46 seconds. All right, here we go. So one thing I've learned is that I don't wait to be in church to give God praise. Several years ago, I was sent home on hospice. Have you ever heard of hospice? That's when, you, that's when it's done. To die. Couldn't walk. Couldn't move. So sometimes, without anybody prompting me, I'll be, and I couldn't eat. I hadn't eaten in about a year. Sometimes I'll be in the middle of uh, Whole Foods in aisle three. And I'll just start, hey, shouting. And they'll be like, what's wrong with him? And say, what's wrong? Well, ain't nothing wrong with me. But when I think about what God has done for me, I don't have to be in a church building to say what a mighty God I serve. Is there anybody here that loves my Jesus? Would you just give him a praise because he's good? <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, we have some visitors that are here today that are saying, well, I don't quite understand why the loud um, expression. Um, I understand that culturally, as an African-American, he's probably a little bit more emotive. Um, 
but I'm having a hard time trying to reconcile all of this clapping and standing up and down. And uh, you didn't have that problem watching the, uh, the, 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 the game with Brazil and Argentina. You, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't say, I don't understand why they're painting themselves in the colors of their country because they're excited about their team. I am more excited to be on God's team than on a German team or an Argentinian team. Is there anybody here excited about God? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. All right. Let me finish this. So that answered your question about my emotive African-American thing. So look what he says in verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Not only is there a risk in this whole idea of having the blessing of God because the risk invites persecution, but there's a reward, and the reward is God's power. It says, I will boast more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Watch this. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What a different mindset when God says that those who are weakest are the ones who are strongest. Why? Because our sufficiency, our strength is no longer of ourselves, but of God. When I first started preaching, you all, uh, it was difficult for me. I'm from the Baptist background, and I'm black, and so uh, there was a certain way that I was supposed to preach. And in the black tradition, there's a thing called hooping. It's not basketball stuff. It, it's, it's, it's a way in which black preachers preach. And when they preach, mm-hmm, they preach like I'm preaching right now, uh-huh. and they do all of that right there, and then you really preach it, all right? So I couldn't do that. So I tried that one day, and people started leaving in groups. <laughs> so then I said, okay, I'll try the other way. So I tried to be the white guy. So I had the thing on my ear, and I had, you know, notes and three points and, and different slides and da-da-da, and pictures of my family, and da-da-da, so-and-so-and-so, and this, 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 this. And then they really start leaving. And I realized that it was not in my preaching gift that God showed up. It was in my brokenness and my need of God and my hungering for his power that God began to move. And in Detroit, I don't know how we have a multicultural church. It was not intentional. It was God. Black plus black Detroit equal black church to me. But every week white people show up. I don't know where they come from. I don't know where they come from. I don't. I have no idea where these white people come from every week. <laughs> so that the power of God would not be of myself, but of God. So are you weak? Good. Good. Because in your weakness is the holy space that God meets you. Let me say that again. In your weak place is the holy place where God meets you. 
And it's not in your strength. It's not in your ability. It's not in your five-year plan. It's not in your, your bank account. It's not in your degrees. It's in that broken, I'm not good enough, I'm weak place that God shows up. And in your weakness, his strength is made perfect. There's one more verse out of the book of Joel, an Old Testament scripture where, the, where Joel says, and let the weak say I'm strong. The most confusing verse in the Bible, because I said, okay, God, you're inviting me to lie. How would you say, let the weak say I'm strong? Unless there's something about that declaration that you know that I don't know. And the, and the truth of it is, if you see yourself the way that God sees you, yes, you are weak. But because you're weak, he is strong. Therefore, if he's in you, you are strong. That is why you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Listen, in Detroit, there's a bunch of white people that go out in the middle of the night to witness and minister to people on the street. And, and you know what I find in these uh, churches, uh, Gene? They say, well, we need to have a 12-week course that would help us become a little bit more acclimated towards the cultural nuances of ministering in an urban community. Uh, realizing that I'm not uh, African-American, I need to be able to understand uh, their, their, their thought patterns and their ethos and how they operate. And uh, after a 12-week uh, course, and then maybe a retreat, and then maybe a, a fall course, and maybe a speaker that will come in and kind of reinforce and kind of wrap it down, then we'll go out in a little group Where did y'all see that in the Bible? Where did you see a 12-week, 5,000-year course on how to do ministry? Weak people go where broken people are and say, I don't know how to do this. God, be with me. Then God shows up, people get saved, and people stop killing each other in Chicago. Hello. I don't know who you are today, but I believe God wanted you to be here today because you felt unqualified. Your own life has made you feel unworthy of God's love and unworthy of God even using you. But God sent me here today to tell you, you're the very one. You're the very one that he wants to use. The more broken you are, watch this. This is deep. The more broken you are, the more God you need. The person sitting next to you who doesn't need God in every area, they don't need God in every area. But you need God in every area. Great. He's waiting for you. And on the other side of this, when God, not if, when God blesses you, you won't be able to point back to your own attainment. But you'll say, had it not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? Be weak, for in your weakness, God's strength is waiting to be made perfect. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so humbled by your presence in this room. We're so thankful for reminding someone that they are loved, that they are accepted by you, that God, you care deeply about them. And Father, I pray for someone who has been struggling with depression struggling with the demonic voices that make them feel unworthy, unqualified, that in this moment, God, you would give him, give her 
the witness in their spirit that they're the very one that you've been waiting to use. Thank you for this church. Thank you for them answering the call of God to be in the heart of this city. And Father, I pray, God, that you would continue to let them be a light shining on the top of this hill. That all round and about, people will come to say, what must I do to be saved? And Father, I thank you so much for those that have kind of been in their comfort zones. They will move out of their comfort zones and look for places to be weak. So that as they look for places to be weak, they'll find your strength there and not in the comfort of their own places of strength. We love you and we honor you. And it's in the name of the one that makes us strong that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.